Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Weekly Exchange. This week in Forex and Strategy Game News, we have updates on Star Ruler 2, At the Gates, Endless Legend, Gladius, and much, much more. Nate and Troy. Hey, Troy. Welcome to the show. Hey, man. It's good to be here. How are you? A bit tired, a bit tired, but otherwise doing okay. Yourself? Yeah, we're getting into the dog days of summer here. The temperatures are heating up, and I just don't have as much energy as I used to. Mm, it's the humidity that does me in. Yeah, really. For we, had some cra- we had some crazy weather this past weekend. Oh, yeah? Crazy weather. Oh, yeah. Bad uh, was- storms? Yeah, we got hit by Saturday was like a multiple de retro day. So we had like these monsoon like rains. Oh, that's right. I saw that. It was insane. It was like you're going 10, 15 miles an hour and there's no point to even use windshield wipers because they don't actually do anything. <laughs> and wow. like in the middle of the street, there's two or three inches of water. So as you're driving, you're creating this wave that people could surf on if they, if they wanted to. Yeah, I had something similar like that happen to me uh, on the way home earlier last week. Man, it just went way up on the sides of my minivan. Yep, and like to get from the car to an awning at one place on Saturday was maybe 10 feet. And by the time I got there with with my kids, we were all soaked. Oh, man, that's terrible. Yeah, it is what it is. We survived. There's just some water, you know. Not bad, yeah. I'm I'm glad uh, nobody got hurt. Oh, no, no, it's just rain. No big deal. So we're going to start with At The Gates this week, and it got a a pretty major update, and we'll go over kind of what it was about. So this is uh, an August update. There's going to be a September update, and the September update, theoretically, should make the game feature complete. It won't be done, obviously, because there'll be a lot of playtesting and bug fixing and rebalancing and more iteration, but the game should be feature complete in September. Hmm. Interesting. So one of the things he worked on is the professions and the tech tree. And this, for me, is one of the things I find uh, most baffling about the game. And so he's trying to uh, rebalance it so that way you get more bang for your research buck, which is fine. But still, when I look at this research tree, there's seven... There are there are seven different areas you can research. And they're everything from like agriculture to livestock to, I mean, who knows what. Okay. And each one of those has um, like four to maybe six levels. Okay. And within each of those levels, 
you're going to have between one and five different professions, one might say, that you can research. So it gets very complicated. Uh, and, you know, the, the tool tips in the game are fantastic. Probably the best tool tips uh, of any 4X game out there. So that is nice and helpful. But, like, I, I question the necessity for so many different techs or, or really professions that you can research. For instance, like, you can have a parchment maker and a vellum maker. And I understand the difference between parchment and vellum, but why does a game need the difference between parchment and vellum? Or the difference between a meat curer and a meat smoker? Or, uh, you know, mm. uh, a fisherman and a fishmonger? I understand, I understand the difference between all these. I just question why a game needs so many. And mm. one, one of the main things uh, that John is pursuing in his, in his updates with At The Gates is he's going more towards a, a roguelike 4X hybrid. And so now he's focusing more on the roguelike uh, features of the game. And, you know, that, that's all very cool. Uh, you know, uh, I played Sorcerer King and I thought it was all right. Played a lot of Thea, thought it was really good. So, like, this sort of game is the type of thing that would appeal to me. But with this tech tree, more or less, that he's got, I think the game lends itself more to a sim style where you're really worried about your empire having enough sheep shearers and fishmongers and, uh, you know, those sorts of really specialized professions rather than conquering nations and killing lots mm. of people, that sort of things. I, I look at it differently. To me, that's... Um, so, first of all, what you said about technology... There is a game that actually does that right now, and it's Oriental Empires. And within Oriental Empires, you pursue four different technology avenues at the same time, and you're discovering different things. Unlike, say, something like Civ or most 4X, where you pick one or the other, you can research everything, but you're really only researching one thing at a time. The difference, In though, with Oriental Empires is it keeps the technologies very simple. You're not doing a lot of complex things. For instance, uh, let's say you research the cheese maker. Mm -hmm. Well, not not only are you getting like a whole new technology, you're you're able to use like six different resources now with just that one profession. And then mm -hmm. you got to have I think four um, resources present uh, within your borders or whatever stockpiled let's say in your in mm -hmm. your your stockpiles to even have your cheesemaker make cheese and is okay. a cheesemaker all that much better than say um a fisherman well like, here's the you thing you want cheese versus fish yeah well what if you are landlocked and there's no fish anywhere near you so okay so why would you want cheese in instead of uh like cured meat again I think this goes to this lends itself towards the roguelike where depending on which resources are available and which clans or families you have, that's what you might pursue. So in that regard, I think it's closer to Thea, where in Thea you had all these different classes and all these different skill sets and all, all these various combinations. What I actually think is going to happen is that right now he has a whole lot of ideas and he's putting it out there and giving them life. But as people play test the game and give them 
feedback. He's going to see where some ideas, as you say, are better than others. And he's going to cut it down. What didn't he at one point have like some crazy amount of upgrades you could do to buildings? Uh, and then he streamlined it or to, to yeah, the town or something. I didn't, I didn't think it was that bad. Oh, speaking of buildings, glad you brought mm-hmm. that up. Okay, uh, sure. He's adding new art to yeah, the I game of this patch. And a lot of them have to do with buildings. It looks really good. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, there's some stuff you can tell. It's like very uh, Roman architecture. Uh, there's like a watchtower here. You got some new looks for the villages, some ruins, uh, a horse pen, that sort of thing. But, you know, the thing about Thea, though, Nate, is while you're researching all those texts, you're doing quests, lots of quests, including, like, the three main storyline quests. And there's new ones popping up on the screen all the time. So you're not just repeating the same things over and over to unlock, you know, 72 different technologies. You're, you're, you're questing and adventuring at the same time. And, you know, I need to get back into At the Gates before I really judge the gameplay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's been a good while since I played it. Uh, I th- but so I think I think you're right. I think what we do is we move, we keep this in mind, and I actually have at the gates too. I haven't played it in a long time, so I think next week both of us should fire it up and like check our own individual hypotheses and discuss okay. it again next week and compare and contrast what we found out because I think the I'll, I'll check with John to make sure he's okay with that that we're not somehow Oh yeah, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll I'll check with him Good to idea. make sure that he's not like um guys, uh, you guys have keys, give me feedback, don't spill all my secrets. So I'll make sure that he's okay with it. And if he is, then we'll discuss it in a little bit more detail. So this way you and I can give it a spin and both of us can you know, see see what we get out of it. But on paper, I like the possibility. But you're right. It could be micromanagement hell or it could I be God I don't even stuff. know if it's micromanagement hell at all. I just think that it is very difficult for someone new to the game to understand yeah. how to navigate their way through yeah. 7 times 12 is like, what, 82 different? 80, 84. 84. Yeah, let's, yeah, that sounds better. Um <laughs> 84 or more uh, professions and no man I'm really going to need beekeepers in this game so I, I better make sure I get you know research up to beekeeper because that's going to be really important well I think that's a nod to Brad Wardell he's very much into beekeeping <laughs> is he really? I didn't know that. Oh my! oh are my god are you truth? kidding? I'm telling you the truth Brad Wardell I have no idea he, he has a couple of passions. One of them is uh, contemplating why he is losing all um, all of his property to his dog. He, he has a favorite dog who is taking over every aspect of his life, as in moving in on everything and like, this is mine, this is mine, this is mine. You are in. <laughs> so Brad Waddell is constantly contemplating it. The second thing he's talking about is alternative energy. And automation. So he's very much, I think, off the grid, like fully geothermal, solar powered, all that stuff. And the other one is beekeeping. Fantastic. Well, all right. We're we're off track. Let's get back on track. And uh, since we're talking about one game that involves ancient Rome, or at least an at the gates case, fallen Rome, we're going to talk about uh, a time when Rome was rising with aggressors ancient Rome. So this week, their dev diary number six uh, continues their talk on combat, and it's really not so much about combat. It's more about more about units, okay? And 
this week they talked about morale, and each unit is going to have its own morale, depending upon how well it's fed and how bad it's beat up. And then there's like a global morale, which affects not just your units, but also your cities. And that's going to depend on how, how well everyone is fed. Uh, are the uh, trade routes open and are people prosperous? Are there dangerous enemies on the border? Has a town been attacked? All that sort of thing you would expect to affect uh, a city's happiness. This update really talks about that. And... Uh, let's see. Also, uh, they, they want to emphasize that this game has a time flow. Each turn is like a year in time. So I guess in some ways, it's like a Crusader Kings game or, or um, an EU4 game, that sort of thing. Okay. And then uh, it goes on to talk about unit abilities. So like a unit might be defense ready. For the first time it's attacked, like it can give 100% of its strength, right? But each time it gets attacked after that, its ability, whether or not it's taken damage, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. give its full effort in battle is diminished. So, mm. you know, if you can gang up on one enemy unit, even though that might be a superior unit, your inferior units should have a good chance of taking it down. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, then, I, I like that too. And then it talked about like healing or repair, healing your units or or repairing your ships. And this this is really interesting. The way that you're going to heal your units is by adding people to them. So like when a unit is damaged, it's not just beat up. People died, and you got to replace those people. And so you got to move your unit close to a city, and then draw people from the city to your unit. To heal them. So you can't just go around willy-nilly uh, attacking people and starting fights and that sort of thing. Because as you draw people out of the cities to uh, restock your army, it leaves your cities without artisans and farmers and that sort of thing. So you can deplete your cities that way and that lowers the global morale and makes it harder to manage your empire. So... Uh, this game, I'll talk about it a little bit more because I've been playing it this week. But mm-hmm. there are a lot of very uh, small, detailed aspects about this game. Mm-hmm. Okay, but it's mm-hmm. not my—it's not full of micromanagement. Like, you don't really micromanage it. Like it's all about consequences. You do something, and then there's a domino effect because of that. And so the game is all about learning how to manage the domino effects of your decisions. And I think once you played enough, you can get an instinctual feel for how that's going to play out. Uh, they, they make a good effort to uh, make the game accessible for new players, which is super important. But uh, I, I think once you got used to the game, like you would have really good instincts on, is this a good decision or bad decision? Like, What am I going to have to do to ameliorate the ramifications of, of attacking or not attacking? And so I kind of like that. It, it's different. It, it's being detailed without full of like dials or spinners or, or check boxes you got to check in order to make it all work. Very cool. I mean, I like I like a lot of what you're saying. I like the fact that when units take damage, they their maximum is lowered, their ability to perform is lowered. That's great. Not a lot of games do that. So it's it's just a coincidence 
that in one calendar year you have two 4x titles that have that mechanic at play and it plays such a crucial role so it'll be interesting i'm looking forward to hearing and reading more about aggressors so uh i guess we're in the ancient world so let me give a little uh, bit of info about civilization six uh about a week well at this point it's two weeks ago on a show called America's Got Talent. This is not something that I watch. I know of it. I watched one or two cuts from it over the years, but that's not my cup of tea. But they had something on that was very applicable to the to 4X and strategy gaming. They had a choir performing the song Baba Yetu, which was the theme song for Civilization Four, a song that won a Grammy Award, a song that's been very much um, a mainstay of of good music for games for a while. And I mean, Civilization, whenever they release a game, a major release, they always have some kind of song, you know, the theme song. So anyways, the Squire performed it on America's Got Talent. They did a pretty damn good job for amateurs. And it's just, it makes you appreciate what a good soundtrack can do for a game. And I think that's a perfect segue into the next into the next news item actually no you know what i'll wait one once you jump once you give us another something that's ancient before i move on to the next news item all right that sounds good and people had the audacity to question our choice as of civ 4 as the greatest 4x of all time look their song was on america's got talent and that's right, how you know you've made it that's how you that's know right. you made it that's how you're you on uh, america's got british judges i mean talent okay <laughs> um let's see here uh, Eardor Imperium, <laughs> the little game that could, I guess, won't go away, uh, got an update this past week, uh, version 2.75.1, and I think this is something, man, we discussed months ago, Nate. Now with this update, you can hire units in provinces, and what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Okay, in Eardor Imperium, you start with one city, and that is pretty much the only city you get, Okay. And then you conquer provinces. And those provinces can have town. And you can build buildings in those towns, okay? Uh, And once you have those buildings built, then you can hire units. Well, now with this new update, you can hire units in provinces that don't have the right buildings from time to time. Not always. It'll be... I guess, random or on some type of cycle where you'll have the opportunity to hire the locals that live in the province into your armies to resupply your armies. So that way, if like you're marching toward an enemy's city, you don't you don't have to march your army all the way back to your your capital or to a town you've built up to restock or take the risk of sending your a, a couple of troops out from your main city or your town to join your main army. So, uh, in theory, that sounds good. I think this is a feature that a lot of people have requested, so I'm happy for them. And then also, uh, a lot of bug, fi- bug fixes were added to the game. It's really important. I didn't have a whole lot of bugs when I played Eodor, so uh, I know it's probably just those rare cases where somebody had a bug and now it's fixed. That's good because the other part of this announcement that I like is how they're always questioning why they keep releasing content. 
<laughs> so that, that's always attached. It's like, so why are we still doing this for the community? We're doing this for. The, it's like it's almost like there's a this whole internal conversation, but it's being revealed to the public, the 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 fan base about <laughs> you know yeah. what's going on. I, I just I, it's endearing. I think. Yes. Yeah. I wish they'd move on to the next one. They they really they should go full on steampunk. Pull the uh, the pilot out of uh, Eodor Imperium. He's a pretty cool hero character. And, and start building around that. Come up with a new game that is perhaps less uh, time-intensive. And I, I think they'd have something. It, it's got a lot of cool parts. It's, right. it's just, man, uh, you have to they need to put your them life to it. They need to put it together better. I agree. So, All right, so let me get back to what I was discussing earlier when I was talking about music. So we had mentioned, I had mentioned, you know, uh, Baba Yatu from Civ Four, and we got we kind of started talking about music. So speaking of music and games that use phenomenal music to an amazing effect, Endless Legend had the new expansion Inferno released by Amplitude Studios. Of course, there are a couple of new tracks in there from Fly By No which are awesome, as usual. It's probably Endless Legend is probably my favorite, my single most favorite soundtrack of any game, 4X strategy or otherwise. I 100% agree. I listen so, to it like when I'm working or something. It is gorgeous music. And and they added more music. And they recently, I'll talk about this later, but they added, they had a, like a small DLC with additional songs for Endless Space 2, but I'll talk about that a little bit later. So anyway, so they released the Inferno, so we have, by the time you hear this, I think we'll have a video up for it also, and there might be a Let's Try, like a blind Let's Try series from Tragic, and this is, and interestingly enough, he's one of our community members, he's done some videos for us, and what's interesting, he's Australian, so he has a cool accent. What's interesting is that he's always been a hater of Endless Space an endless legend not a hater i take it back not a hater but he doesn't get why people enjoy the games and i think with the free weekend that's going on at the time of recording um so quick summation of that amplitude did a free weekend and as part of it there's a, the continuing discount that ends so you could buy like a combo pack which we had spoken about in our announcement and um for both uh, supremacy which is final space 2 and inferno which is final legend and uh if you're playing during this free weekend and like a total of a million play hours are accumulated, I think it's six alternative skins are released for Endless Space 2. So at the time of recording, this million hours of gameplay had been reached, which is awesome from the community. But anyways, back to Inferno. So it introduces a new faction. The Kapaku, these guys were came from a lava planet, a completely different environment. And uh, they don't like the seasons. They don't like Orga. They got saved from some machines that were terraforming their planet. And interestingly enough, if you know at all the Endless lore, there is a faction in Endless Space that's a robot, basically an AI faction, robot, whatever you want to call them, android, mechanized faction that is a planet, the Sours. They terraform planets for the Endless to make them uh, livable for the concrete. I think it was for the concrete Endless. So that's what it looks like happened to these guys' planet. So, or maybe the virtual, I don't know. But anyways, um, these guys got rescued and got planted in Oregon. And part of their gameplay is that they have to terraform the regions in order to utilize them. And the terraformation of the regions and 
it's just it's really cool it's a cool mechanic they have uh really interesting units interesting story so you know it's another cool faction being added to an already fantastic game and people were i've seen people complaining like oh you know the endless legend is done why but it's like to me i don't know if whatever project amplitude is working on if they can add to my favorite game and make it better why why wouldn't i take that you know it's not like they're they're doing it piecemeal you know here's 7.99 for the faction here's another five bucks for a few songs here's another 14 bucks for the you know for some art no it's like it's what they've been doing which is like 12 bucks or 13 bucks for dlc which includes quests faction uh all kinds of uh, gameplay mechanics that are added there's a new solar eclipse mechanic that is really interesting graphically pretty it adds it adds uh like little bonuses and things like that. i think in my opinion it helps negate some of the harsher aspects of the winter of the oregon winter so and a cool faction and you know it's 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 awesome i like it and uh, speaking so so okay so here's the flip side to it the not flip side but the other thing to this this wasn't actually done by amplitude this was done by ngd studios and those are the guys that worked on master of ryan conquer the stars for wargaming so master of ryan conquer the stars is a game that i like was it a perfect game? No, it was not. But they worked on it and they were being directed a particular way or not. Now, with them coming to Amplitude and saying, hey, guys, we'd love to make an expansion for it. Here's our idea. This is how we would do it. And they came basically with the whole thing already done up. And the devs from Amplitude that went out to Argentina to check check them out, you know, see what they're about, were very impressed with them. They're like, okay, well, here, why don't you do it? And then here's, you know, whatever it is that they paid for it. And, you know, if, if this is amazing, you know, we might do some more stuff in the future. And I think they did a really good job. Now, granted, I've read some people that think that, oh, their art style is different. I don't like it. But, hey, you know, it's a personal choice. Not every person is going to enjoy the same thing. I, for one, liked it. And I think that they had really good direction from Amplitude, which resulted in a really cool DLC. So I think this they have a future, and it'll be interesting to see what else they do, if they collaborate with Amplitude or if they go off on their own and do something. But what I can say for myself is that a lot of people that are my friends on Steam, I see every time they're buying, you know, if they let that information be known, it updates. And a lot of people have bought these this expansion and bought Supremacy. And actually, a whole slew of people bought Endless Legend and Endless Space, too. Well, so, they're really good games. So those are They are, but, but the thing is, is like people that were fence-sitting, people that were like not sold, I don't know, it's not my thing, la, la, la. Now, you know, they're finally like, okay, I'll check it out. And, and they're posting about it on the forums, and they're actually saying some really nice stuff. So, you know, good job on it. Good, congrats to Amplitude and to NGD. They did a fantastic job, I think. Well, yeah, you know, one interesting thing I came across this year as I was just looking over some of my stuff mm -hmm. is that there have been relatively few 4X games launched this year Mm -hmm. As compared to years in the past. So maybe uh, some of our fence-sitters mm -hmm. on this are are buying the game because there's just not much else to buy. So that that might be an interesting effect that some older games are getting uh, another look because for once the market isn't being flooded every, I don't know, every other month with something new. Maybe. And uh, there's another... I'll talk about this a little bit later, but there's another game that might lend some credence to what you're saying, but we'll get to that when we get to that. Awesome. 
All right. So next we're going to talk about Age of Wonders Planet Foam. And their dev diary number eight talked about global resources. And I'm just going to hit on a few. So the first one is energy. And this is the universal currency of the game, which I'm kind of meh about. Energy doesn't really get me excited. You know, yeah, credits, that makes sense for an economy. So seeing it like built on like Transformer Energon uh, is just, I don't know, kind of weird. But whatever. A lot of sci-fi games use energy as the main currency, so that's fine. And then we get to influence. And this is really cool, Nate. Uh, influence is the diplomatic currency used to manipulate other players and NPC factions. All right. That's pretty cool, right? And influences game by performing quests and from an inherent generation of your empire. All right, that makes sense. Cooperative doctrine and friendly play styles give bonuses to influence generation. Hmm. So now this right here tells me that diplomacy is going to be a bigger facet of play for Age of Wonders Planetfall than it was in Age of Wonders 3. Because these cooperative doctrines, and I'll, I'll get to what doctrines are in just a bit, but cooperative right there tells me you, you got to have more than just yourself, right? Otherwise, it's not really... Right. Yeah, right. Who are you cooperating with, right? Right. And then after influence, which is your diplomatic currency, comes reputation. And the reputation determines how other empires or, or like minor factions see you. And that influences your global morale in Age of Wonders uh, Planetfall. And this is, you, you gain reputation based on your in-game actions, sort of like alignment in Age of Wonders 3. So here's another resource that is related to diplomacy. So, you know, some people criticized Age of Wonders 3 for being light on diplomacy. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's a valid criticism, or maybe Age of Wonders 3 is just not that kind of game, all right? But it appears in this dev diary, they are addressing that criticism in a mechanical way. They're saying, here are two things you can do diplomatically to improve your empire and get what you want. So I find that very interesting. And then I'll talk about doctrine slots, and these determine the amount of global doctrines, basically empire-wide bonuses you can have active at once that sounds very similar to me nate of the laws mm -hmm. that you can pass in endless space 2 mm -hmm. you uh you know how in endless space 2 you can i think you start with like three i think yeah you and it's also slots, and it's then, also based on political parties right yeah oh yeah good point so as you i think it starts with three for pretty much every faction and then depending upon you're right the political party in power and technologies you've researched you might get fewer or or more well so so, so you start with three generic ones right and then the political parties are imp the political parties impact what's available to you and you can research additional ones like that's not the main part of the research that's like a little side thing you do as part of uh, right. you know a, a tech being open but the main thing is it comes from your heroes so from the heroes be they you know admirals or governors or whatever they're the ones their um, political leanings are what impacts 
the political landscape. So there's, I, I think they can do more in Endless Space 2 with that, and they probably will in the future. But this is an interesting mechanic for Planetfall, because I think what they're going to be doing with Planetfall is going to have an influence on what happens in Endless Space 2, because they're going to, I mean, Triumph, when they focus on a particular mechanic, they really, really do a good job with it, you know? So oh, yeah. it'll be interesting to see how the greater commu- the greater 4X landscape changes with what Planetfall does. Because, I mean, I swear to God, every single time they release a dev diary, dev journal, whatever, I read it. I'm just like, I'm getting more and more excited. But I have to be so careful because, you know, sometimes you get yourself like too hyped. And then there's just no way that the product that comes out can meet the hype that you have generated yourself, you know? Oh, without a doubt, that's a real problem. So, anyways, since we're talking about we have moved away from fantasy, but we're staying on terrestrial and more sci-fi, so this past week, Gladius has has gotten an update, and Gladius, Warhammer 40k, Gladius Relics of War, which is definitely a mouthful, has been my paramour for the last couple of weeks since release, and I've really been enjoying it. And uh, they're basically taking feedback. And this isn't, this is just a balance pass with some general changes and bug fixes. And one of the major things that they're changing is that how flyers, so these are units that are airborne, how they have an effect on um, be it artifacts or resources. They cannot capture them, meaning that if a terrestrial unit or even a hover unit, if it's a hero or a tank or whatever, you know, if they uh, they 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 end the turn on uh, almost like a goodie box or a, a resource that can be exploited, then you get control of that resource. But flying units don't do that since they don't land; they're flying. So that's kind of neat. They changed how uh, how bombs work. So one of the one of the type of bombs. Not ugh, bombs. It's it's a unit that you'll have like an infantry carriage or something like that. How they impact when you uh, when you hit a vehicle. So in the lore, for example, like melter bombs, they don't. These are like the sticky bombs used in World War Two. So you don't really throw them. You know, three tiles. You can't. What you have, it's a melee attack. You do it and boom, it has an immediate effect. So they changed that. They changed a bunch of orc uh, stats and things like that. They're having. Uh, you know, like some bug fixes. Basically, the point is, is that community is giving them feedback and they're integrating it. And that's great. So the thing that the game has that stands out significantly is the combat. And these tweaks are making the combat better. And I and I have to agree. It's for a one unit per tile type of combat. It's fantastic. It's it's by far like the best one out right now. That's not like full on like Age of Wonders 3, you know. You engage, then a battle map opens and stuff like that. This is your fighting on the worldscape. So, okay, so moving on to the next item, let's get back to Amplitude with Endless Space 2. So so this time around, this they just released this uh, DLC that people were not really ready for, so, or at least not aware of. Um, currently, or recently, we uh, wrapped up voting on the... Espionage faction, that's, you know, the community-based faction that being voted on and story being submitted and, you know, all that stuff. And that's coming out later, probably at the end of the year, my guess. 
or maybe beginning of next year. I don't know. I don't. I have no idea when Apple II plans to publish it. But so that's what people were waiting for. But in the meantime, actually, this one was being worked on, and Supremacy introduces or reintroduces a faction from Endless Space One, which was demoted in Endless Space Two. So the His Show, they're they're a combat, they're a fighting faction, basically like Bushido hawks that were used as uh, gladiators by the Endless and. You know, endless are you know messed with everybody. So this is what they did with them. So they're different, but this is not the same thing as the minor faction in endless space too, because those are the the hisho that were not touched by the endless. So that'll be interesting to see how the interplay is there if they're going to have some cool quests from that. But these guys, they have a new mechanic called key or K, and this is uh, like an honor system. And to paraphrase. It is basically a different happiness mechanic. So this is a faction that can actually go wide. And by going to war, they can go wide because they maintain their happiness. But not meaningless war. And they're kind of like the Klingons where you sh- if you go to war, you had better not retreat or there's a consequence to retreat. They have some cool ships. They have a lot of flexibility in how you outfit the ships. And then they introduce the behemoths, which create, you know, it's a new ship class. There's a story behind it. These are very, very cool ships. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's a, it's, it's a great faction. It is another fan favorite. So Amplitude is listening because when they release the Balters, people are like, Balters, we thought you were going to release the Hish Show. They're our favorites. They're like, oh, no, we're not going to. And secretly taking down notes. Okay, everybody wants the Hish Show. Okay, what can we do with the Hish Show? <laughs> Let's get those guys out there. We need to make sure that the community is happy. And from what I can see, again, from comments both on our forums and on their forums and on Twitter, you know, the, it's well-received. And based on the sales, people are buying it. So people are buying Endless Space 2 that hadn't bought it before. So I don't know if the lack of Hisho was preventing them or whether finally there's enough in the game that they are happy about. So, yeah, very cool. Congrats to Amplitude. That's two great expansions that they have released. And at the same time, and outside of a little snag that, you know, you're dealing with Valve here. So, of course, there's going to be a snag. Outside of that, they're doing well. And... um I don't know the sales numbers since, unfortunately, Steam Spy cannot report them anymore because it's all done to protect us, you know. Valve wants to protect our, to keep our, protect our privacy. Yeah, right. So we, we don't have access to that information anymore, but it's it's awesome. And uh, moving on to the next, this is a quick little update. So I was asked a couple of weeks back about what's going on with player sector. And lo and behold, a little update is coming. I mean, it's really, really little. But it's it's a correct it's a correction for missiles. It's a construction fix, and it is an update because they released the expansion, the Lumens, that play differently than a lot of the regular factions. So they are changing them to continue their play style to fit the Lumens. So one of the things that they do is the Lumens don't have food. So how can they feed populations of conquered planets? So that's, you know, they shouldn't be able to if they don't have food, if they don't use it. So they made a little change. Again, it's tiny, but it shows that the game is being worked on. Now, I know that some people in the glut of all the games that came out at the same time, player sector, got lost in the mix for a lot of people. So maybe somebody will discover it that hasn't heard of it and pick it up on sale and give it a chance. I mean, it's it's a solid 4X. No, it is not, you know... 
Stellaris or Endless Space or even Master of Rank of the Stars. It's a one-man team. But, you know, it's pretty good for what it is. It's, uh, you know, we liked it. Yeah, speaking of short updates, Children of the Galaxy did its typical uh, one-paragraph update. And it, you know what? I had almost completely forgotten about this game. So their July update updates the personnel UI, and you can assign captains from the military panel. And double-clicking on a person will take you right to the planet or the unit, which is nice. Uh, they're still working on the personnel AI uh, for... You know, enemy factions, and uh, they're adding a lot of new tooltips to the game, which is really important. The game has a lot of little parts. This game has an awful lot of micromanagement in it. Uh, It's been, man, I I bet it's been eight months since I played it, though. So maybe they've changed some of that since then. So anyway, Children of the Galaxy is not abandoned. Still getting updates, and this one, uh, yeah, it looks all right. Okay, and speaking of a game that was not abandoned, but development stopped for it, Star Ruler 2. We talked last week about how the developers released the game, like basically released the code into the wild. They're like, here you go, here's the code for the game, do with it what you will, thank you for supporting us. And interestingly enough, a bunch of our uh, posters, a bunch of the forum members were asking me about it, like, hey Nate, can you reach out, can you get some more info? So I spoke to one of the devs, and I got some information. So, now, I don't post, so this is on, um, what was that? Okay. I didn't say anything. Go ahead. Oh, okay. I, (laughs) I thought I heard you ask something. So, anyways, so... Here's the information I got. Now, it's going to sound a little weird, so I'll explain it to you. So the dev told me that the game has had 120 forks or download, fork downloads, which basically means 120, it's been downloaded, the code 120 times, like the full code for the start of unique projects. Or maybe it was downloaded more, but now it has officially 120 projects that are stemming off the game code. It has 827 stars, which means... Uh, there's 827 uh, different things happening with it, kind of back and forth, maybe threads, maybe people, maybe uh, like that. 74 people are watching to see where this goes. There have been 10 community patches since the code was released, and these were merged and updated that version of the code that's available to them. Now, I don't know if it's ever going to make it to Steam, but if you download the game from, from where it's being hosted you'll get, you know, you'll get this newest version. And then um, there's a mod called the Rising Stars mod, which is like the biggest mod community for Star Ruler 2. And they have their own Discord channel. And pretty much the devs are redirecting everybody that has questions about, you know, how this works and how that works to that Discord. So it's really cool. Now, I asked I asked um, this developer that I was speaking with, I'm like, so I'm curious, why would you guys release it? And they're like, well, there are no nobody really releases their code anymore. Sometimes you get like part of the code and you get mods that adapt what they can figure out, but nobody releases their code. So by us doing that, it gives this is their own engine. So it gives, I guess, circulation to the engine and people get familiar with it. And maybe they can, they'll make some amazing stuff with it. But either way, it's exposure for the dev studio. You know, they're kind of, they're cool for doing it. And, you know, it's here's our work and check it out. Let us know what you think kind of thing. 
And at the same time, it's helping the greater community because, like I said, there's not a lot of code out there for existing games. So, and this is a relatively new engine. This is it was a pretty solid game. We definitely like Star Wars 2. It was, it was a weird game, but not in a bad way. Like, really, like, from left field, a different, a different way of looking at Space 4X and... It's just, it didn't catch on. There were too many releases, as like you had said earlier. Too many games were coming out too fast for these small studios to be noticed. And now, especially now, which I will talk about later in the show, with what's happening on Valve and the fact that you can't find anything. It's difficult to find anything, anything new, because of what, what Valve is doing. So games like this just completely get lost by the wayside. So what's going on with Star Control Origins right now? Okay, well, let me preface this that we're not going to talk about any of the ongoing litigation because there's it's still early days. But what we will talk about is the fifth prelude. So that's what they're calling the Dev Diary or Dev Journal. So it's Prelude 5 of 13, and it's called The Aliens of Star Control. So first thing first, Brad Wardell explains again for those that don't know. And I mean, he makes a very valid point that for a lot of people... Star Control Origins really will be the first time they've played Star Control. So not everybody's willing to jump back and play older games. So um, he talks about the various like timelines, and he explains that st- what Star Control 1 was, what Star Control 2 was, what Star Control 3 was, and what they were going to do with Origins. And basically, they decided on doing a multiverse. So you have Star Control 1 is its own universe. Star Control... T- well, that's not true. Okay, Star Control 1 wasn't much of a universe. There's not a lot of lore there. So it led directly into Star Control 2. So Star Control 2 is called the Urquan Masters, and that's its own timeline. Star Control 3 is called the Kesari Quadrant. So a lot of people were very unhappy with what happened in Star Control 3, and they're like, what's going on here? It wasn't the, ori- the original developers. It was you know, a project done by a different team. So that, that got made into its own timeline and then star control origins is a whole other timeline so that explains the whole multiverse so in the future you know when the litigation is figured out and everything is resolved maybe they'll start getting back to like the one major timeline or not who knows but um they're talking about like the early early concepts of what the various aliens are going to look like what the ships are going to look like um iconography um portraits it's really really interesting to see how development how artists move from stage to stage like how they sketch out and then how as different artists come in they put their little tweaks on it and then they're talking about like which aliens they would like to see in the game and by that they mean like if you're playing the game what kind of alien would be interesting to you so then sometimes they work out like a complete timeline and the complete story and a complete everything. And then at the end, it turns out, nah, we don't like it. So it's, and they end up getting tossed, which is unfortunate. And then they show how like one alien might've started out one way and became another one. And it's, it's basically, it's cool. It's really cool. It gives us a look into the creative process, which as fans, we don't get as often. We get to see finished products, but we don't get to see how the product got to that state in many situations. We don't get an explanation of the lore and what the significance of that is. So that's kind of what this was about. There's a lot of art in here. Obviously, there will be links in the notes. So click on it if you haven't already seen it. Give it a look. Give it a read. Let us know what you think. 
And then with that, a quick a quick shift to slightly a different axis from that, Starpoint Gemini Warlords, which is a game that we have an excursion for. It is a game that we like. It is a game that's doing pretty well. They teased that they're going there's going to be a new expansion for it or a, like the final expansion that finishes the story and it's called Endpoint. So by the time that you hear this, let me see today. Nope, it's still not out. It's going to be like one or two days after you hear this, that'll be out. So maybe depending what it is, we'll probably cover it for the next show. So just a little teaser. And it is a game that like you can, you can either, it's almost like it's, it's almost like a more ship focused game. That's kind of like distant world universe where you're more focused on the ship or the fleet than you are, you know, it's not really a 4X, it's a strategy game, but it has 4X-like elements. It has, you know, you're the pilot, you can be a pilot, you can, you know, have cockpit view and do battle or kind of like over the side of the spaceship type of thing. So it's got a lot of different things going forward. It's definitely a game that's liked and it's got it's got pretty good reviews. So we'll keep an eye out and see what they have to offer for that in a couple of days and we'll probably cover it a little bit more in a week. Awesome. Very cool. So next we're going to talk about surviving Mars, which sounds like a really difficult thing to do. But in this case, it's a game. And they've got a new update coming, and they're calling it Da Vinci, because I guess they ran out of Mars missions to name their, their patches after, which is <laughs> kind of funny and cool. So anyway, yeah, the Da Vinci update is going to have something called Creative Mode. And this is kind of like, I don't know, a quick start or an easy mode where everything you buy is cheaper and everything you start with is bigger. So you have more people to start with, more money to start with, and the the buildings and research and all that is cheaper, cheaper to get. So, you know, if you want an easier version of the game because, you know, you're not you're not really into like the long slog of a survival sim like this, ah, now they got a mode for you. And that's pretty cool. Also, they reworked storage management. So you can set, like, uh, storage goals for all your little robots and things that are running around. So if you want, like, 200 of a particular resource, all your, your robots and collectors and things like that will do their very best to keep that resource at 200 units no matter what. So it'll take into account how much you're using and then still try to give you a buffer of 200 units of that resource. So that way, you know, if you have an emergency, you've got some reserves to draw upon. So I thought that was pretty cool. And then the reworking power connectivity. And, like, I haven't played this game, but if I had played this game, this would make me excited. Apparently, you had to connect every single building with power lines prior to this. And now uh, you can build buildings in adjacent tiles and they'll automatically be connected now if you want to go far away and build something you still got to run a power line to it but if they're close by each other the the power lines kind of connect themselves and they're not traipsing all over the place which man that that's a nice cleanup of that bit of micromanagement and since this is a paradox published game they're mm -hmm. going to borrow from other paradox published games like uh, City Skylines, and so now you have a follow camera that you can watch your little, uh, I don't know. Drones, 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 dro drones or people, depending and, on which part of the game you're in. 
Yeah, and robots and whatever else. You can follow them around, kind of like you can a, a city bus or a car or whatever mm-hmm. in city skylines. So very cool. Uh, a bunch of new things for surviving Mars. If I'm not mistaken, didn't Joshua write a he, he did. Uh, excursion for it? He wrote an excursion and Mark did a Let's Play and I'll be interested to get feedback from both of them about it. Yeah, so, yeah definitely, without a doubt. When we talk about it again, you know, we'll see what's going on with that. And uh, moving on away from space into a more terrestrial environment, Phoenix Point had a major update and uh, they were discussing three, uh, two things. First of all, there's the roadmap. So they posted a roadmap as to where things are going and what's happening. And that's always great. And then they also, there was a message from Julian Gollop. Where it was very weird. It was like a short little message where he says that uh, the Geoscape is coming in update three. Okay. He, they could have just written like a paragraph. But it's, it's all, you know, what do I know? It's cool. So I'm, I'm very excited for it. It's a game I backed. I've, it's another game that I have to be very careful with because if you get too much hype, it's just it's impossible for them to deliver. But if you have too much hype and they still deliver, oh my God, you know what? They, they, they know what they're doing better than anybody else. It's really difficult to deliver with like the crazy amount of hype. And I have, I'm just trying to really hard not to like get overexcited for this title. And I'm very, very excited for this title. And then, so another game that we covered that was like, this one was covered by Micah. And th- I think this is one of the games that started him on his wargaming kick was Battle Brothers. Mm-hmm. And they're discussing an upcoming DLC called Beasts and Exploration. Now, this is this game is it is a fantasy game, but it is a low fantasy game, meaning that magic doesn't play a big role. You don't have dragons and, you know, big, massive spells being cast, but you do have orcs and elves and what this is basically adding to the game is it's adding monsters but i i don't know what kind of monsters they have art showing here it looks like some kind of a a cross between a yeti and a troll so at least from the art and the addition of these monsters are also going to uh add new mechanics like probably gameplay mechanics and loot and not in a bad way as in you know you defeat the monster and you can use it as a you know, strip it down and use it for resources, for crafting some charms and possibly weapons and whatnot. There's going to be like new quests, like hunter quests where you're trying to hunt down these monsters, so things like that. So that's going to be introduced and they're doing a little bit of rework of uh, like the like the unit painter. So you're going to be able to paint your uh, individual units with the shields and armor and, you know, helmets so they can be differentiated from one another. And they're adding events and music. So all of that is great. If you're a fan of Battle Brothers, I'm pretty sure that you're excited for this because this is this is a pretty good game. So I'll have to ask Micah what he thinks of this because I know that he really enjoyed the game. Awesome. Very cool. Well, we also got an update for Total War Three Kingdoms this past week. And if you can't recall... This is based on both the historic account and the fictional account that most people probably talk about as the romance of the three kingdoms in ancient Chinese history. And this update talked about the differences between classic mode and romance mode. So you can think of the romance mode as more of like the fantasy version, the the, the souped up 
awesome, powerful version. In the classic mode, more uh, realistic, more based on historical accounts of the time, and probably more true to what human beings are capable of. So, for instance, in classic mode, you will not have superpowers, like shake the earth or the ability to cast spells or that sort of thing. Um, heroes, instead of being single units by themselves, will be surrounded by a retinue of bodyguards, even in duels. Now, in romance mode, you can organize a duel between two heroes, and they'll meet in some type of arena one-on-one, and everybody will watch them fight it out. In classic mode, they can still have duels, but they only meet on the battlefield, and then their bodyguards are fighting with them. Um, classic mode, according to uh, this update, will probably have a slower pace than the romance mode because, again, you're losing a lot of the, the superpowers that come with the, I don't know, the fantasy embellishments of the romance mode. Uh, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be any less fun or less engaging. It's just different. There are some people who want to play Total War Three Kingdoms in a more historically accurate simulation and there are those who want a more uh thematic or mm-hmm. fantastical Fa- setting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and and you know i think that perhaps uh creative assembly's experience with total war warhammer has shown them that there is an appetite for these types of games with fantasy elements is not just historical gamers that can enjoy total war there's mm-hmm. a broad spectrum and I think this game, I mean, basically you're getting two games in one, mm-hmm. which I think is fantastic. So, uh, yeah. also, you know, in classic mode, it, it expect a lot more statecraft and, and negotiating and diplomacy and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And romance more about like superheroes in, right. in ancient times. It's cool. It's, it's interesting because it's, it's almost like Thrones of Britannia, the way that is. Yeah. And, a slightly less fantastical version of Warhammer. I mean, you're not going to have... I doubt that in uh, in the romance mode, you're going to have somebody summoning a dragon, you know, a Chinese dragon to to fight for you. But they might have powers, like they have some attack that they set off some chain of events that looks like they're blowing fire from their hand. But in reality, it's some kind of a pyrotechnic, you know, or something. But, like, if you do something like that in a classical mode, that's actually how you blow up your hand and <laughs> go deaf and traumatize your retinue. So I think that's the more fantastical aspect. All right. So in this in this new segment of What Is, I would like to talk about a game called Godhood. And this is this looks to be something that's a cross between maybe Populous and maybe Thea, a little bit like Thea. So, and and maybe even Driftland, because you don't actually have direct control, but you can influence your disciples, and there's a bunch of different deities to choose from, and ba- based on how you play the game, your you know your civilization has to show that it it wants you as deity. They have to show, the, um, you know, that you have influence over it, so you get stronger. So I'm I'm curious. There's going to be a link to it. It's definitely got an interesting playful style is how they describe it i don't know if playful is the word i would use but it's definitely unique and uh, 
yeah, I'm curious. I mean, like I said, the next set of games that are coming, City Builders, Tactics, and these God games. And I've been saying this for a couple of years, and here you go. I, I, my future casting from a few years ago seems to be spot on. And if it's not, I will go back and edit past shows to prove that I'm spot on. So. There you go. <laughs> I will be right. I'm kidding. I would never do such thing. But we have definitely talked about it. And the last bit of news, and this is something that I have been saying, you have been saying, the community at large has been screaming, is that Valve keeps dropping the ball. So one of the things that, one of the alarm signals that went up when a couple of, I don't know, it was two months ago when Valve said, ah, we're going to let everything under the store. And th- th- this is something they've been doing before. We don't want any more controversy that we are keeping content out and we're doing this. So everything is welcome here. And unless it's offensive, and if we find it offensive, then it's not. But otherwise, as long as we're making money, we don't care. So some developers took that to heart, and apparently they found ways to make games that have a lot of achievements, have a lot of possibility for items and cards. But that's just based on you just leaving the game running on its own. But in reality, what these games were doing is they were using your computer for crypto mining. And they were at the same time generating cards and and like that they used to trade and selling keys on the gray market and using that to generate regular Steam cards. So everybody, it's one of those like pyramid schemes. And at the same time, the, the, like the way it functions, this economy doesn't make sense. From nothing, they make something. From something, they make something legit it's like it's it's almost like like some kind of a drug business where they're using illicit gains and they're washing the money they're cleaning it up they're laundering it through legitimate business and then they're walking around saying oh look this is money i made la 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 steam didn't like that so steam shut them down of course plenty of people screamed about it and what we've been saying all along is steam has to curate valve has to curate their marketplace. There are too many games, and most of them are garbage. Most of them should not be played, much less paid for. They shouldn't even be free to play. They should be, please don't play. They should be blocked. They should be thrown away. It's like bots playing games to generate cards for other people, for developers. It's it's so dirty. And that's why other marketplaces are growing. But at the same time, you know, good old games is not taking advantage. And they're missing out, I think. Yeah, for sure. Even Origins or You Play or You Don't Play. Yeah, right. I like to call it. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, they haven't really taken advantage here. So anyway, yeah, Steam needs to do more to protect its users uh, from these scammy things. It just has yep. to. It just yep. has to. And I got to believe that Steam is profitable enough. They can they can hire some more people <laughs> to help <laughs> them out with this. I got to well, believe it. The last time that we found out how profitable they were, how much money they make from loot boxes and from this content and things like that, were in the billions of dollars, they got kind of mad and they changed their algorithm to, you know, because to meet the requirements of the GDPR, which they were never going to do until that happened because they got embarrassed by Glovkin, the guy who made Steam Spy. Right. So, so after him, they changed everything. So yeah, they make plenty of money. But you know, at some point, you have to stop being so damn greedy and reinvest some of those resources into your own marketplace. It's not like we're asking, hey, give us free games, hook us up with free stuff. We're not. We're like we're asking them to clean up their own house. 
to do a better job moderating, to do a better job uh, curating, because we're as curators. So speaking of which, so our curators, we've surpassed 4,900 people. So there's 4,900 people that follow our curator page. And like, as a curator, I get to look to see the influence and influences purchases made as a result of things like, you know, clicks on our curation. So they read our thing. Oh, that's great. And then they make a purchase as a result. So we're having an influence now. That's great. Yeah, I know. Right. We don't see a penny for it, which is fine. I'm not asking for anything. All I'm asking in return is great. We're helping you sell games. Awesome. Please, Valve, clean up the marketplace. Just just get rid of like 99% of the games you've had in the last four years. Just delete them. We, we give you permission to go ahead and delete them. <laughs> Please delete them. And if one or two good games get caught up and then people start screaming, then that's when you're like, oh, sorry. Let's see. Oh, no, no. This is a legit game. Or if that's not something you're willing to do, then have people go and do it. Hell, ask us to help you. We'll tell you which games are garbage. Ask us, hey, curators, what do you think? Which games are garbage? These games. So then you have your own people look at them and see, oh, no, they're right. This is not a game. This shouldn't even be here. So whatever. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that our curator page is having an influence and we got 4,900 people following it. I wish we had 4,900 people in our forums. So if you're (laughs) listening to this and you haven't joined our Steam forums, please do. Uh, We'd love to have you. It'd be really good to have you. And... um, you know, I understand some people don't want to use Steam be, because they object to the um, yes, basically the the copyright protections. And like, hey, I understand. Uh, we we would value your your input and participation. Um, we we really do love all our community members. We appreciate you guys, and our forums are awesome. We we yep. rarely have to break up a flame war or tell people to settle down. Uh, everybody pretty much comports themselves with with maturity and respect. And you know, we're professionals. We work hard during the week, and we really appreciate how much you guys work at treating each other, even when you disagree, with, with respect and, and uh, good decorum, because yep. it makes our lives so much easier. Yep. Because I, I love reading interesting conversations. I love reading interesting arguments, interesting disagreements. It's just that the one thing that I don't like is when people like make things personal. You know, look, my, we okay. So I'll give you an example. So we posted up. There was a thread talking about the fa- you know top ten, top whatever favored forex games. So you and I were kind of thinking about that already, and I was like, oh, this is an interesting opportunity. So we made a double X and we discussed our personal, you and I, it wasn't representative of the community. It wasn't representative of the other, uh, moderators and explorinators. So, um, we made a thread and people didn't agree with us in some of the choices, but people discussed it. And it was interesting to see why people feel the way they feel, you know, there were no arguments. There wasn't like, oh, you're wrong or you're dumb or you don't know what you're talking about. It was right. like, I just think I disagree with you and here's why. And, you know, it's like, great. So interestingly enough, there are a few games or probably four games at this point with the, the tally that I have off the top of my head that could have at least made honorable mention. Maybe even one of them made it on the list and bumped something else off. But anyways, that was interesting. So, all right. So let me ask you this. What have you been playing this week? Uh, Well, like always, I played a bunch of World of Tanks Blitz, mm-hmm. and I've almost finished grinding all of the free tanks that will become premium tanks mm-hmm. at a at a patch down the road. Now, 
you know, there's no guarantee that'll actually happen. You mm-hmm. know, it's just on a test server right now, so they might change their mind. So I may have wasted a bunch of time. Did you have fun? Uh, uh, I did have fun. And now that I went back, it's been a long time since I played, like, the lower-level tanks. Mm-hmm. And I got to agree that uh, Wargaming needs to do something to simplify the game and make it more accessible to new players mm-hmm. because you have guys like me with – I think I have something like 12,000 battles now. <laughs> and. So like I I know the game inside and out and in, and there there are guys with fifty thousand battles uh, <laughs> that know, know the game so, better than you. Yeah, know the game way better than me. They know where every rock and tree and bush and everything is. So anyhow, I you know I was I was really kind of disturbed by that 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 future update when I first read it. Mm-hmm. But now that I've gone back and played some of the lower level tanks, I'm like yeah. I really do see where they're coming from. They need to simplify this. Taking out a bunch of tanks and saying, all right, you know, these are the tanks that will teach you best how to play. They probably do need to do that. So, Well, I mean, it we'll is. See, an, we'll see what happens there. It is an MMO effect, essentially. It is. It is. A MOBA uh, is probably or more mo- accurate. Okay, well, it is a something. Yeah. And as something ages, you have power level creep experience creep and complexity you know, creep complexity creep and new players find things like impenetrable so that's why you have mmos or mobas that have been around for a long time having issues because new players is like oh my god i can't play it's like everybody's so good everybody has all this cool stuff i have none of it you know so that's well, i think yeah. that's the case for any developer there's something they have to keep in mind you know the fresh factor of stuff yeah. It, it's a very complicated game when you first log in, mm-hmm. and and they're working to simplify it. And the more the more I've experienced it, the more yeah, I'm, I see what they're meaning. I also played uh, Aggressor's Rome uh-huh. this uh, this past week because mm-hmm. uh, I've been working on that game. Mm-hmm. And you know, let's see, it's going to come out at the end of this month. Mm-hmm. And and really, with as much as I've played, mm-hmm. I think I can say it's a pretty solid 4x game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't have any issues that weren't my fault as far as like bugs and that sort of thing. So that, okay. that, it's all on me. Um, and the optimization's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the depth of play is there. Like I mentioned earlier, like it's a type of game you're, you're going to have to play it and you're going to develop a, a, a feel for the game and an understanding for the game because there it is very deep, but there's not a lot of micromanagement. It's not like, Okay, think about a traditional 4X. Civ, Master of Magic, um, Age of Wonders, whatever. Well, maybe not Age of Wonders. Let's not use that one. Uh, Fallen, Enchantress, uh, the, those, those, those sorts of games, right? Um, where you, you've got these really complex uh, building trees, complex tech trees, like all this stuff. There's not that. Like when it comes to managing a city, basically you're going to specialize the city in military trade or growing the population so you don't have a whole lot of decisions to make um if there's an iron mine or a copper mine or something like that you build uh an excavator essentially on it and then that's what you do Hmm. you build roads you irrigate fields it's pretty simple but it but the way you manage your units and the way that there are consequences for your decisions make the game very complex. And that's great when you can have complexity without micromanagement. And I think that's the road that Aggressor's Ancient Rome goes down. So I think people who buy this game at the end of August 
are, are going to get a solid game. I haven't played it enough to say that it's a good game, but it's definitely going to be a solid game. They're not, they're not as long as they don't pull a surprise at the end, which you know, Nate, so many companies add stuff right at the end to make it like some big surprise or something. I really hope that Kubot, the, the company that's making this, is just will not do that. Yeah, because that usually introduces bugs. And oh, yeah, of- it, it usually wrecks the game. It's always a terrible decision. So, um, yeah, I think the people that buy this game at the end of August are going to get a solid 4X game set in the ancient Rome era, like right at the dawn of the Roman Empire, and have something fun to play. Very good. And play anything else? Mm, no, I, I just logged into At The Gates for a little bit just to check something, but mm-hmm. I like your idea of both of us playing it this next week and comparing our notes so long as it's all right with John. Okay, I, I will uh, I'll uh, tweet him. I'll tweet at him, I suppose. <laughs> I'll reach out, see what he says. So, all right. And then as far as I'm concerned, as far as what I played this week, actually, I did not play too much Battletech or Gladius, but I did play... A whole bunch of Endless Legend and Endless Space 2. And it's like every time I launch Endless Legend, I, it's a risk I take. Because if you get a good game, you, you can't stop playing it until you finish it. And then you're like, oh, I could have done this. Then you want to play another one. you know. And with Endless Space 2, it's, it's getting there. It's definitely improving. I think now that I can talk about it, I think the Supremacy DLC adds to the gameplay the the behemoths change the dynamic of late game a lot of times you know the mid to late game is a snowball effect and you know it's a foregone conclusion you're gonna win and with the behemoths that's never a foregone conclusion now i had made a mention of something interesting and i had said that oh you know they really can change the late game and one of the responses from the community was that well you know you can protect your systems it's very easy to negate that Sure, on a one-on-one engagement, but what if you're fighting two or three other major factions that are all attacking you? Not that simple. And if your system gets destroyed and you're rebuilding your system, you're not rebuilding him to the level it was before. You start from a very low-quality planet, and you got to do quite a bit of terraforming to get it to where it needs to be. So, yeah, there's definitely a dynamic change, and I'm... Looking forward to seeing what they do with espionage because what they did with espionage for Endless Legend was really unique and that really made you feel like it played a role. So I'm curious to see how espionage plays what it does in Endless Space 2 when it comes, be it later this year or early next year. But other than that, uh, not too much. That's that's it. I mean, that's that's enough, <laughs> I think. So with that, I want to... Thank our patrons for supporting us. You're all amazing. We really appreciate you guys. And very soon, Troy will have a new chair. So no more squeakiness. Yep. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> so, so, you know, your support does not, the money does not disappear. It goes to replace stuff. Troy will get a chair. Joshua will get a mic set up. His last one died. <laughs> so he, he needs, he could use it. So you guys are definitely helping support all of that. And, you know, th- again, thank you. We appreciate everything. We appreciate our community. Now, you know, an additional thank you to the people following our curator page. And if you're on our YouTube channel, the last couple of vid- videos that Dallin did for Endless Space 2 are doing really well. Even though one of them, uh, YouTube did something brutal with it, only uploaded it to 360p. So the video, even though it's really good, it's not as good 
in appearance as it could be, but apparently people don't mind it as much because they like the content. So we try to make sure everything is 1080p or high def, you know, so it is what it is. And I think that's it for me. All right. That's wonderful. Uh, we'd like to thank everybody for listening. We really enjoyed having you. This has been Troy and Nate for Explorminate. Take care, everyone. See ya.